0: Yeah. Well, we're going full blast into Matthew, and we're on chapter 4 right now. If you've missed any, you can go to willowparkchurch.com and catch all of the previous teachings. It's been real fun. I've learned so much doing the book of Matthew. Um, before we get into it—oh, uh, by the way, Carolyn, you can come on up. This is Carolyn and, uh, and her husband, yeah, Andrew up there. Look at this family. They do. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of support. We do two care groups. So one is on Thursday night at the Cream and Bean, and she's one of the leaders. It's wonderful. You could buy yummy coffee, ice cream stuff. It's fun. There's also one on Monday nights if you can't make Thursday, and the Monday night one um, is in the youth office. So there's a set of stairs that faces um, home hardware there. You just go up those stairs, and there will be signs toward the youth office. So it's Monday at 7, Thursday at 7 for care groups, okay? Okay. So if you're new here and you're having a hard time getting into community, sometimes church can be like that for a while. And sometimes you have to be a little bit bold to step into it, okay? So, grab your Bibles. We're going to be studying Matthew 4. And it is a doozy of a passage. There is a lot to unpack theologically, also practically. Grab your Bibles, or even if you have it on your phone, that's fine too. Having a notebook is a good idea. Each Sunday night, because we do cover a lot of ground, and it's good to just have reminders when you get, you know, when we get to chapter 20. All right, Carolyn's going to read it. Follow along. Here we go.
1: Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread.
0: Thank you. That was awesome. That was like Bible on tape material. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, that is quite the passage. And if you're sort of new to Christianity and to Jesus, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is this? So here we have Jesus being tempted by Satan and it sounds a little bit mythological doesn't it we're going to be looking a lot into sort of the goodness of jesus and what evil is and how to deal with temptation what forms temptation comes in tonight i think we all have our own vices am i right in this room one of mine is cottage cheese big time anyone else cottage cheese there's one food that everyone has that you your your body never actually has like the full signal to your brain right I could eat a full one of those liters of cottage cheese, no problem. Also smoked salmon. Do you guys all have those too? One time, I got home from the church, and there was a cottage cheese in the fridge. It got to a point, by the way, where we would buy two cottage cheeses, and my daughter would label them. Mine, hers. Just because she knew it would get out of hand. I get home, and I downed an entire one liter of cottage cheese. And not a big deal. But then I got thirsty... (laughs) And then I also had an entire, like, can of Pepsi. And then I laid on the couch, and it seriously, I felt like I was dying. Like, I was, there was this time where I thought, I might have to call the ambulance here. And Melissa gets home and is laughing at me and, and mocking me and asks me what happened. And I explained to her. So this is what she did. is She took some cottage cheese, and she put it into a bowl and then poured Pepsi on it. This concoction frothed and bubbled like you wouldn't believe. This is what was happening inside of my body. Cottage cheese? Oh my goodness, one of my vices. But do you ever feel like you've had something in your life that you've been dealing with for so long? Just that, that sin that you just can't shake and you just keep going back to it. In Proverbs, it talks about how a dog returns to its vomit. It just keeps making itself sick. It ate it. It got sick in the first place. And then it forgets and is like, oh, there it is again. And it keeps repeating itself in this horrible, disgusting trend. I think we've all have those kind of things, and we live in a society, I think, that doesn't really help. am I right? I remember 15 years ago, I had one of the first phones that was connected to the Internet, and it was awesome, because I could check hockey scores. It basically had a few sites, so there was sports, and you could go, and it was kind of like text, and you could read the score. Um, and there was a few things like that. There was weather, and that was really helpful. But then all of a sudden Rogers came out with the first time they decided they'd make some money off this and they had porn on cell phones and I thought to myself this is outrageous and I wrote a long letter (laughs) to Rogers and a lot of people did there was outrage thinking that teenagers can have access to pornography on their phones so then that would mean in their bedrooms. This means, I remember reading one of the letters to the editor, this means that child predators can actually have this in their car at playgrounds. And the world just went nuts. Rogers actually wrote me a letter and said, we're very sorry, we will not be putting this on our site. And I was like, oh, thank you, we just solved all the problems of the world until the next year when the iPhone came out. And all bets were off. And now the greatest fear of this, this content on our phones is right there, for the whole world, this is temptation. This is like locking an alcoholic in a bar at night and saying, it's going to be fine, see you in the morning. The whole world is now having to deal with this. Further, we live in a society where we're so driven by identity and image, and with social media, I'll tell you what, the pressure is constant, and, and the temptation on each one of us to look away and to appear right at all times is immense. And this is just the tip of the iceberg for temptation. We live in Kelowna, am I right? And there's a lot of lowered Honda Civics. There's a lot of fancy cars around here. If you walk around in the summer, you think to yourself, why am I the only poor person in this town? This is a town of incredible temptation. And it's nothing new, though. We can't stand here and say, you know what? Woe is us. We have more temptation than any culture in the world ever. I don't think that that's true. Every culture had its own unique set of temptations. But it's how we deal with these temptations that will actually determine the rest of our lives. When I say the name Bill Cosby, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Bill Cosby. If I would have said that five years ago, you would have all said, ah, oh, a lot of smiles. Funniest guy, wholesome. But his entire reputation has been tarnished by the fact that he dealt with temptation poorly. I got a confession to make. We nearly booked Bill Cosby for Rush. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not kidding. Right before everything came out about him, I was thinking, we need a really wholesome comedian. Let's book Bill Cosby, and almost did. It was the same year (laughs) that everything came out. Praise the Lord. Imagine that being on the Rush forums, going out to different towns. Woo, thank you, Lord. Now... What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the name Billy Graham? If you're under 30, you're probably like, what? Is that some sort of a cracker? But if you're over 30, you're thinking, oh, Billy Graham. This was a man. This was a man who was so full of integrity. This was a man who they could find no dirt on. This was a man who lived such a godly life that everybody looked up to. What a man. But you know what? He had a plan for his life. He didn't let life just happen to him. He thought there's so many things that are going to come my way and tempt me. How do I deal with it before they happen? Before. How do I live a victorious life and not just succumb to all of the temptations of the world and be torn down like every other leader these days? He actually said, you know what? I'm going to pause. And he wrote them down. And he had some real tangible things that he did. And most of them were from the passage we're about to study. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that tonight is a night where you actually, from this point forward, have a different set of plans for how you deal with temptation. I believe that we can. And I believe that that we we are victorious. Am I right? As Christians... Don't you think we have everything we need to be victorious? We are not like the world that's tossed back and forth. We are not. Bad things will happen to us, but we will not be the victims of those things. Let's pause. Let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit like we always do to just fill us so that we can understand what the Scriptures say. I can't explain it to you. It's only the Spirit that can. So let's ask the Spirit to fill us. If you're a believer... We're told to ask for the infilling of the Spirit daily. And if you're a believer, I I invite you for that. And if you're not a believer, if you've never received Christ, then in this place you can say, God, enlighten my heart. Send your Spirit and enlighten my heart. Jesus gave the invitation for us to have eyes to see and ears to hear spiritual things that we can't hear and understand and see on our own. So let's pause and pray, and then we'll get to the text. Jesus, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, God. I pray that, that you'd fill me with your spirit. Father, you say that the gift of, of prophecy when preached is interpreted by your spirit for each individual, and I pray that that would be the reality tonight. Jesus, you love every person in this place, God. You designed us all uniquely. We're your children. God, and you desire victory for us, God. Thank you, Father. Amen. I want you to think about the friends that you've known or had that have fallen away from the faith, that have decided that they're no longer going to trust Jesus. And I want you to think about when it was in their lives that that happened. I've been at this church for 20 years now, and I've seen many people get fired up for Jesus like you would not believe. But by far, I'd say 90% at least, the most common time people fall away is right after returning from Bible college or YWAM or a missions trip or summer camp or rush. It's, It's right when they return. It's right as we come back from that time. Because the reality is is that after every mountaintop experience, there, there always comes a valley. And Jesus models this. Jesus just got baptized in this text. He gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. This is like a mountaintop experience. The father speaks and says, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Imagine. And then what happens next? Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. This is, this is nothing that we're used to. Let me explain that I, I actually think that, that the valley is far more important than the mountaintop. The valley is where all the life is. The valley is where the fruit is born. The valley is where the growth happens. You've all seen mountain ranges, right? We're from B.C. We've all seen what a mountain looks like. You're going to notice on any mountain, there's a tree line, if it's a high enough mountain. And nothing grows above the tree line. It's the way that it is. And this is the same as our own spiritual lives, is that there is no growth on the mountaintop experiences. So the Holy Spirit will lead us into the valleys to be tempted for growth. And this happens after the mountaintop. And this is a critical step. Our English word for tempt fails us. Because when we hear the word to be tempted, the English word means tempted to do bad things. It's a negative term. But the Greek term for tempted is not like that at all. It's, it's pirazo. And it means to test or to train. And it's actually a positive term. It speaks of training up and growing James 1 explains it well with the exact same word. Consider it pure joy. So Jesus is going to be tempted. James would say, you know what, Jesus? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing, there it is, the pyrazo of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, we grow from resistance, Right? If we go to the gym and we work out, but we're not lifting anything, it's just easy. We know that we're actually not growing. Resistance creates growth. That's why we work out. God tests us to grow us, and this is critical because he's calling us after those mountaintop experiences to grow, and the great commission is to go and make disciples to save people. This is a big call. Imagine you're drowning and you're in big trouble and there's a lifeguard on the dock and the lifeguard says i'm coming i've never done this before i've never gotten in the water but i studied the book and i kind of know what's happening you'd be like no thank you you want a lifeguard that has been trained tested past the test to come and try to rescue you am i right so after we go on these mountaintop experiences we go into the valley And we get tested. And God grows us. And I love this. Oh. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Hear that? He is saying, you know what? Disciples, you've just had this mountaintop experience. Now you are going to go into incredible danger. You're going into wolves. 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 He's speaking about evil here he's talking about a spiritual world that is evil and I was listening to CBC radio and this pastor was talking about the Bible and and the host said well what do you think about all the the times when Jesus talks about the devil and demons and the pastor said he finds those parts of the Bible embarrassing because it's just mythological and I'm thinking to myself, ah. Oh. There was one night at our church when a guy came, and he was, he was demon-possessed. And we spent hours praying for him, and we actually cast these demons out. And if I wasn't there, I wouldn't believe it. And as we were in the middle of this, and these demons had actual names and had voices that were unique, I thought to myself this is actually real (laughs) what shocked me about thinking that was was i recognized in that moment that i didn't previously believe that this was real i didn't believe that this was a true part of the world that there is the demonic that satan is actually real But any reading in the New Testament includes many demonic encounters, many angelic encounters. There's over 300 of them in the New Testament. The whole New Testament is full of it. This is what the Bible is about. But our idea of the devil is funny. So when he's being tempted by Satan, I want you to think right now. Picture Satan in your head. Just for a moment. Picture him. You can take a photocopy of that. You got a picture in your head? I will bet... It looks similar to this. Whoa, that's creepy. That's Jesus being tempted, the second temptation. That's Satan in the back. He's reptilian, wings, scales, probably horns. This is one of the earliest depictions of Satan in Romanesque art. And this was this way for a thousand years in Christian imagery, and they stole this image from Greek and Roman mythology. That's sort of where this idea of Satan and this, this image came from was mythology. Early Renaissance started, and visual realism took hold of our art, and from about 1,200 to 1500,, this would be a more um, accurate picture of Satan that we would have. Satan was viewed in these during this time, during the Renaissance, as more of a monk. Isn't that interesting? A trusting monk somebody who's who's definitely going to disarm you somebody who shows up and you just think oh that's just a monk there's nothing threatening about him and i think this is a lot more accurate because in scripture he's described as very subtle a wolf in sheep's clothing listen to how paul describes him he says for satan himself masquerades as an angel of light it's deception Light has to do with revealing the truth, and he twists and distorts. And so, in this account, we're going to see a lot of distortion, and we're going to see a lot of distortion in our own thinking. When you think about the times in your life that you have been tempted and succumbed to the temptation, I would imagine that your thinking was distorted, and you weren't thinking straight. This is why the effects of alcohol are so damaging in the party scene. This is why scripture says that it leads to debauchery, because it's a distortion. So let's move on to verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, isn't this interesting? He gets baptized. He gets led out into the desert. He knows why he's there to get tempted. And what does Jesus do? He fasts for 40 days. That's his first inkling is to fast. And fasting is so powerful. It is abstaining from normal things to spend extra time with God. So for 40 days... He put all of his effort into just communion with the Father. He knew he was about to be tempted. You see, we're two parts. We're flesh and spirit, aren't we? We all have the sinful nature, but we all also have the perfect Holy Spirit within us. And C.S. Lewis talks about how there is a battle. And he says it's like two dogs, and when they battle, he says, which dog will win? He says, well, it's clear. It's, it's, it's the stronger dog. It's the dog that's been fed. That's the dog that's going to win. And fasting is starving the flesh. Fasting is feeding the spirit. It's just straight communion with the Father. And so Jesus, knowing he's going to be tempted, this is what he did. So after we come back from camp or missions trip or you go home tonight from pursuit or you're on a spiritual high, our instinct is to just coast It's like, oh, I'm back. You get to your house, and all the same things that you used to do are there again. Netflix is there. The computer is there. The food is there. The booze is there. All the stuff is there, and there's this tendency after a spiritual high to just coast. And that is when we get tested, and that is when we are vulnerable And Jesus did the opposite. After his spiritual high, he fasted. He said, I'm going to press in even more. Oh, I love that. You see, because we're also tempted at that time when we start to hurt. When we fall into sin, when we fall into old habits, then we're just even the more vulnerable. I want... You to notice something really interesting is that satan came to jesus after 40 days of fasting he didn't come after three days after 40 days he assumed jesus was weak and he wanted to take him out when he was weak and used what he was hungry for to tempt him this is what he did we're most vulnerable in our lives to be tempted now listen really carefully when we're hurt if you get dumped or lose a relationship you are going to be tempted. And you'll be tempted in the area that you hunger. Jesus was hungry. Satan says, have some bread. If you lose a relationship, oh. if you lose someone in your life through a death, you are vulnerable. If you lose a job, if you get left out, if your friends put you down, if you get criticized, it's when we're wounded that we are vulnerable. Satan is described as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and lions always go after the vulnerable and the weak. They actually will separate them from the pack and attack them, right? It's when we're weak that we need to say, okay, oh, I need to be really careful right now because the area that I'm hungry, if something comes that easily fulfills that, I need to be very weary of that. I need to be really careful about that. He preys on the wounded. I remember um, one of our, our the guy that grew up in our church, his name was Martin Wolf, and he died in a fire in Grand Prairie in a in a semi truck. And a bunch of us got in a bus, and we all went out for his funeral. And and as we're on our way out there, I'm texting his brother, and. Um, I was just praying for him, and, and, and he just says, like, he just, obviously, this was, like, the hardest time of his life, and, and as I'm praying for him on the bus, I was just sitting in the seat, and I, I fall asleep, and I had this crazy, vivid dream for him, and he was in this castle, and all the walls had fallen, and, and he was completely vulnerable, and there was this army coming to attack him, and I woke up, and I called him, and I just said, Mark, you are at the most vulnerable place in your life right now. You are going to be tempted in this next period like never before because the roaring lion looks for people to devour and you are wounded. And, and when I got to Grand Prairie, we just prayed and he just pressed into the Father like never before. He came out victorious. He wanted to take him down in that moment. I think many of you can sense that when there's loss, We either go one of two ways. We either get angry with God and bitter. Whenever we mourn, so many people say, I can't pray. I can't pray. I just can't say a word to God. And we're vulnerable in those times. And you need to know that this is the time where you need to call on your brothers and sisters and say, can you pray for me? Can you come around me? Can you have my back during this time? You see, here's the beautiful thing is that Satan wants to tempt Jesus with bread when he was trying to commune with the Father. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I will fulfill completely. I'm the living water. Don't accept any substitutes. Verse 5. Well, verse 5. This is a little bit hard to understand. Follow along with me. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You the highest point of the temple would be extremely high. This is higher than the Grand Hotel. And you got to understand that that at the temple there would have probably been about 10 20,000 Jews down below. The temple is always full. So here he is on this very high peak with tens of thousands of people below. He says if you're the son of God, he said throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Whoa. Here's Satan quoting scripture from Deuteronomy. What's interesting here is that this is the holy city. This is Jesus' church. Those are all of Jesus' like community down there. He'd be like, Hey, jarius i don't know what their names would have been back then hey he knew them all these were his people and satan is saying throw yourself down and put on a cirque de in front of everybody they're all gonna love you jesus do this impress them look good people will talk about you you'll have a following do this wow the temptation here is from within the church his own people You know what, I think we're deceived when we think that our greatest temptation will be outside of the body, like a strip club, or a website, or at a party, or on a vacation. We sort of view temptation as coming from somewhere else, but it's not. Our greatest temptation comes from within, from other believers, See, I went to to Briarcrest Bible College, and I loved it, and I learned so much. But I was in a dorm with 40 other Christian guys, and this was the biggest source of temptation in my life. Going to public school, everyone smoked pot. Everybody did all sorts of things, but it wasn't a temptation to me because I saw the fruit, and I didn't want anything to do with it. They would live this life, and they would be miserable, And my 18-year-old brain was like, oh, that's obviously played out. I'm not going to do that. I go to Bible college, and all of these really godly guys are subtly sinning. And it created the greatest temptation that I've ever had. Their sexual standards were different. In my mind, I started to compromise as to what's acceptable. Their view on... On drinking was completely different than mine their view on language their view on how to treat girls their view on everything was was different and instead of making the bible my standard it's so easy to make other believers your standard am i right when other people compromise that are believers it's so much easier to justify your own sin wow And so here's the reality for each one of us, is that the greatest temptation for Jesus was the people within his community. And for you, walking in this community, if you have strong friends that start to waver and wander, that is going to be way more damaging to you than other people. And so Jesus was really clear. He was so clear that he was going to make his standard the scriptures and the Father and nobody else. And I think this will be the biggest area of temptation for us. For starters, yeah. Obviously, it's going to be a big temptation for all of us to want the sinful stuff. But more than anything, it's going to be bigger when it comes from believers or people that you respected and looked up to. Becoming a pastor originally was really an interesting thing because I'm hanging out with all these other pastors that I assumed were above reproach and had no sin, and suddenly I realize, oh, they're just like everybody. And that's a challenge. Jesus is straight up here. He rebukes Satan, and he goes back to the scriptures. I love it. Verse 8 Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Wow. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And you know what was held in each one of these towns? There were different temples to all sorts of different people. The Greeks worshipped, this is Aphrodite right here, Aphrodite was a big one that they worshipped. This is romance and sexuality. This was a huge area of worship for the Greek people. They also worshipped mammon. And you've heard of mammon before. Mammon is wealth. Mammon is pleasure. This is what they worshipped. One time we went to a ministry in Los Angeles and they had this hummer, like this beautiful raised lifted hummer and they're driving it through the streets. And, and I said, well, what do you guys do with the Hummer? And they said, oh, we drive the Hummer around. Kids see the Hummer. And they want to know about Jesus. I was like, what? So we're showing them something from this kingdom that is perishing and is, is not the kingdom of God. And we think that this will somehow interest them in Jesus. I don't really see how any of this works. Listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes on what is, on what is seen, but on, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is see, unseen is eternal. This is huge. You see, at least the Greeks named it and owned it what they worshipped. I think sometimes we think, I'll say I worship Jesus, but really in reality, it's not what's happening in our heart. There's a real simple test to reveal what we worship it is what we spend our time on and what we spend our money on that's what we truly worship if i spend spend most of my time on on anything but jesus then i'm actually worshiping that thing above jesus and how does jesus respond to this he says you can have this jesus all the kingdoms of the world and i want to remind you in isaiah Jesus knows this full well. He says that this kingdom is garbage. He says that the nations of this world are like regarded as dust in the hand of God. That the rulers are like grass and they're in the wind. They're just, they're withering. He says that the hand of the mighty God stretches the universe. And Jesus, knowing full well that this kingdom is perishing and garbage and full of anxiety, and misery, he says, not even a chance. And listen to what he does. He yells. He actually yells it. That's what exclamation marks are for in the Greek. He says, away from me, Satan. Oh, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Wow. He yelled it. He said, away from me. He resisted. James 4, 7, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is victory. Sometimes it feels like I'm never going to have victory over this temptation. No, no, no. Resist him, he will run. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, resist the devil and he'll flee, but entertain the devil and he will cling to you. Sometimes we like to play with sin, don't we? I hear it all the time. People come and they say, you know what? I've been dating my girlfriend for six months. How far can I go with her? And I'll be like, oh. The Bible says to flee From sexual immorality to actually not try to just like get so close because when we actually commune with it it'll cling to us but run the other way the Bible says to run from people that will that lead you down the road of immorality to those friends to flee from them we have the same questions about drugs what kind of drugs can I take how much can I take is this drug okay is that drug okay We're called to absolutely run. This is what Romans 8 says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is why Jesus resisted. Because everything Satan was selling was death. Everything he was selling was was a fake copy of what Jesus had. He would have been settling for something that would have ended up creating death within him. There is this Puritan named John Owen. I love this guy. This is what he said. He said, make it your business to mortify the indwelling power of sin. The word mortify means to kill, like like mortician. Be always at this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Whoa. You see, the devil made good arguments and they all sounded good, didn't they? He even used scripture. He said, look, this is what God says, not what God meant. He even twisted everything that the Bible had to say. But Jesus knew the scriptures and he knew truth so that when the time came, it was actually hidden in his heart and he knew how to respond. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy. Satan misquoted Deuteronomy. Jesus knew Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And then quoted him back the truth. But it was in him. He knew the scriptures. This is so important. You see, if we don't know, the scriptures we will be deceived. We will, I promise. A bunch of years ago, this guy came up to me and he said, Hey, guess what? Uh, I thought you should know because you're going to see pictures of me on Facebook. I've been drinking a lot. And I'm like, okay. He said, I go to parties and there's nothing wrong with being drunk. And This was one of our core guys. And I said, okay, where do you get this? He said, well, I've been talking to my friends, and it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible. And I was like, what? So we went in my office, and we actually read the Bible. And he's like, oh, man, those guys lied to me. And I was like, you've been a Christian for 18 years. Like, wake up. It's right here and and you've been led so astray because you just have never been in there We had a bunch of grade 12 students who all decided that they were going to now sleep with their girlfriends This was like 15 years ago And and I, I I met with them the parents were like this is crazy I don't know where they get this theology from they heard a podcast and this is what the guy said So we opened the scriptures and they were just like oh man We didn't know any of this You see the power is the scriptures and we can become so confused when we're hungry. And when we're tempted and we hunger for something, the reality is, is that the greatest temptation will come from that area of hunger and also the greatest area of confusion and misinformation will come to that area, I promise, every time. And we will start to justify And this is why when we put on the armor of God, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You see, Jesus provides us a beautiful way. Not only did he strengthen his spiritual self after a spiritual high, which we will all have to do. When you have a mountaintop experience, you cannot coast. You need to press in more than ever. You need to to feed your spiritual person, your soul. We need to resist the devil and sin. And we need to stand on scripture. And listen, what's so beautiful is that the angels came and attended him. Imagine that. Do you read this and just like, oh, I wish that when I overcame temptation, angels would come and tend to me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's like, oh, hello, Gabriel. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I'm hungry. And also, that was really hard. You see, we have it better Christ Himself tends to us. He dwells within us, and we just don't get an angel which is a messenger. We get the King of Kings. Remember what I just read? James 4 resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. It's when we resist and come near to the Father. That instead of angels attending to us, the Father does. Oh, come on. Am I right? There's victory. So many things that we have not had any power of for so long, and we just think, this is just my life. I'm just not going to have victory in this. He says, no way. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. We got this. We don't have to live like this anymore. And so we're going we're gonna to worship right now. We're going to take part in communion. And, and this is what's so beautiful, is that in this place, we are just going to say, you know what, Father, I'm, I'm actually going to mortify the sin in me. I'm going to mortify it. That'd be a cool band name. I'm going to mortify that sin in me. I'm going to put it to death. I'm going to resist it. It will flee from me, and you will come, and you will attend to me. That's what we're going to do, and there's going to be victory. And we need to call it out, and we need to know Scripture, and it will set us free. I'm going to invite you. We have prayers up here, and we have these little prayer lanyards, and and you know that you can come, and and we would love to just pray with you tonight. There's victory in Jesus. When you get home tonight and you just sense the beauty of of the Father, and you just think, oh, this feels so wonderful, you know what you need to do? (laughs) You need to fast, (laughs) you need to just get with Him. You just need to make him priority because he is going to actually grow you. It's valley time for you so you can produce fruit and life. Let's pray. So Jesus, God, I thank you that you, you provided a way for us, God. Your word says that you have given us the greatest high priest that can actually understand our temptation because you lived through it, God. You were tempted in every way that we've been tempted. You know it all full well, and you provided a way through it, Father. God, I pray that our lives would look like Billy Graham's life, God that right here and right now we would determine, Father, that we will not succumb to the temptation in our life, God. Jesus, we would actually resist the sin that is killing us, God. God, that we would be people of incredible integrity, God. You say that our names are our most valuable possession, Jesus, our reputation. God, I pray that we would just press into that, God. Jesus, we know that there's freedom from that for each one of us God and we also know that there's second chances for each one of us God you say that your mercy is new every morning God that that every morning we're new so God in this place we want to come near to you God and, and we, we trust that you're going to come near to us and attend to us this evening God God as we take part in communion and we, we put to death the sin in our lives God I ask that you would come and attend to each one in this place. I pray that your spirit would fall heavy upon us tonight, God. Jesus, we love you. We love that you've come and just brought us complete victory. God, I thank you that we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Father we love you So I invite you to come and, and take communion with us and this is a powerful act You could take some bread and dip it in the juice and and when you do this what you're what you're doing is, is You're doing you're mortifying the sin within you. You're saying you're calling it out. You're just saying jesus this is yours And it's a powerful symbol of that it's actually dead and as he resurrected on the cross we too resurrect in victory Communion is a powerful symbol, and it's a statement of incredible faith when we take part in it. We say, this is gone. It's dead. See you later. I have victory tonight. Amen. So I invite you to take part in that with us.